Hey, online listeners, John here. Uh, we are so grateful for you. Uh, I know so many of you are listening from places like Texas and Ohio and Oregon and Germany. We're so grateful for you and you are a part of Prodigal. And as we near the end of 2022, we look forward to 2023 and beyond. We're doing a year-end giving push to further grow, expand, and build the ministry of Prodigal next year and beyond. The future dreams we're giving to, a permanent facility, more staff to meet more needs, and at more acts of justice, mercy, and love uh, in Fresno Clovis area, but also in Southeastern Africa. Would you consider a year-end gift to help us make a bigger impact in 2023 and beyond? Thank you for your continued support and generosity. Now let's dive right into this week's teaching. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. There's a rather poignant Christmas story about a little girl and her mom and dad getting ready for Christmas. And to her, it seemed like dad was always preoccupied with burdens and bundles and mom was concerned about parties and presents. They just had no time for her. And so she felt like she was kind of being shoved aside. And in fact, she was told numerous times throughout December, would you please just get out of the way? And so one night in December, she knelt beside her bed and she prayed this prayer. Our father who art in heaven, for, please forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. Now, I grew up Catholic, so that prayer just, it hits different. Forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. When I ask the question, are you ready for Christmas? I'm asking much more than just your lights or your presents. Some of you might say, well, I just can't get into the Christmas spirit. What is the Christmas spirit? To distillers, the Christmas spirit comes in a bottle and approximately $75 million worth will be sold and consumed this month. For the greeting card company, uh, the Christmas spirit denotes boxes of cards, sentiments sent and received. 95% of Americans will send over 5 billion plus Christmas cards this year. And if the malls are any indication, uh, retailers will say that Christmas spirit means moving lots and lots of merchandise off the shelves for larger and larger profits. And at the end of the day, this season is about God, Jesus, his invasion of space and time to rescue and redeem earth. It's not about putting Christ back into Christmas. It's about putting Christ back into Christians, getting our priorities right. It's about placing our life in God so that he can place his life in us. Welcome to the finale of our Christmas Cheers sermon series. It has been a blast to turn our church into a bar these past several weeks. In week one, we learned that God's heart for you isn't based on your heart for God, and that he is with you and loves you in your brokenness, even in your bad decisions. Last week, we saw that the church should be a place where everyone knows your names, that the person vulnerable in a bar is inevitably closer to Jesus than someone who is not vulnerable in the church. And today we are exactly two weeks away from Christmas. And as we close this series, we will end with hope. 
my favorite Christmas song by far is Oh Holy Night. The first verse, it almost has this, this almost somber vibe to it. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And it's like in a minor chord. And then the pre-chorus, it changes. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It's my favorite line of the song. A thrill of hope, this, this turning, this change. I think we could all use a thrill of hope this Christmas, right? We, like the world, are in sin and error pining. And 2,000 years ago, under the Palestinian sky, the shepherds and the wise men, they experienced a thrill of hope. And that thrill is still ours 2,000 years later. There's this scene that we talked about a few weeks ago in Christmas movies where the main character is down and out. When things are at their worst, when they are at their lowest, when it seems like all hope is lost. And they're drinking in a bar and it's snowing and everyone else is having the time of their lives and they are bearing the weight of the world with each glass. Now there are lots of reasons we can find ourselves sitting on those bar stools. Loneliness, boredom, despair, loss. Sometimes we drink to remember, sometimes we drink to forget. But there is another reason, failure. When you mess up, when the choices that you made brought pain and despair into the lives of others, to the lives of those that you love, when everybody was relying on you and you messed it up, when you promised, but you didn't keep your promise, we have all experienced failure in one way or another. And it might not always be catastrophic, but that, that aching sense of knowing that you let people down and it is in failure where we could use a thrill of hope. In our church, we used to hand out church bulletins. Now we just have the Prodigal app, which is basically a church bulletin with summer notes and all of our upcoming events and things like that. Um, but this week I found some misprints and, and some failures in some of the bulletins of other churches, okay? Now, here's a few. Smile at someone who is hard to love and say hell to someone who doesn't care much about you, okay? The rosebud on the altar this morning is to announce the birth of David Allen Miles, the sin of Reverend and Mrs. Julie Miles. The senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. Okay, that's my kind of choir. Please join us as we show our support for Amy and Alan in preparing for the girth of their first child. And then finally, everybody's favorite Christmas hymn, Angels We Have Heard Get High. Okay, you guys know that one. Now, we have all had failures, but they probably weren't broadcasted to the entire church, let alone the entire world where 3,000 years ago there was a king in ancient Israel, and he is confronted by a prophet of God. He is confronted with his own failure, and his failure has been broadcast to millions throughout the centuries. The king is David. And David is confronted with his terrible actions, his bad choices, his destructive decisions, sexual assault, adultery, murder, cover-up. Now with this story, there are lots of directions we could go. We could go to how sin ensnares us, how, how it escalates. But this morning, we're going to pull back the palace curtain 
and look at King David sobbing uncontrollably behind locked doors. We're going to hear his cries unto God after being confronted by his own actions, when he was forced to look into a mirror. David's prayer is found in Psalm 51. And of this Psalm, Derek Kidner says, Psalm 51 is the fourth and surely the greatest of all penitential Psalms. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest Bible commentaries of the 20th century, postponed working on Psalm 51 week after week and often sat down to it and got up to go again without having written a line. He concluded, it is a burning bush with fire yet not consumed. And out of it, a voice seems to cry to me. Such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed into the soul, and exhaled again in devotion. But commented on, ah, where is he who, having attempted it, can do other than blush at his defeat? So in context, David committed two sins for which the Mosaic law provided no forgiveness. Uh, deliberate murder and adultery, death was the inevitable punishment. And this darkness led David somehow to the light. Psalm chapter 51, a Psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, so the Bible tells us right away the context of the prayer. Verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. The first thing that David does in the psalm is a fierce, almost desperate clinging to God's mercy. Yes, a desperate clinging to the mercy of God. We could all do this a little more. In the opening verses of this psalm, David pleads three characteristics of God. Mercy, unfailing love, and compassion. And in the following verses, David uses another three words to describe his actions, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. It is the wager of King David and the deep conviction of ancient Israel that God's mercy, love, and compassion will triumph sin, transgression, and iniquity. The, the Hebrew word here for mercy is chakan. It means to be gracious, to show favor, pity. Uh, unfailing love, it's the Hebrew word hesed, goodness, loving kindness, faithfulness. And then compassion, raham, womb. There's a connection between a, a, a mom and having a newborn baby in the way she cares for that child. Compassion, same root word. The mercy, unfailing love, and compassion of God is greater than the transgressions. In Hebrew, it's pesha, rebellion. Iniquity, avon. That means perversity or depravity, iniquity, guilt, punishment. Sin, chata ah, missing the mark. In the midst of failures, he clings to God's mercy, love, and compassion. And he turns from his transgressions, iniquities, and sins. This is so different than how we often think of God in the midst of our failures. When my son Dex was two, uh, we made some mistakes as parents, okay, plenty. We told him that if he took his seatbelt off while we were driving, that the policeman would come and get you and take you to jail, okay? And so then before we knew it, 
he had this irrational fear of law enforcement and we created a little narc, okay? I would take off my seatbelt while pulling into the driveway and he would say, dad, policeman come and get you and take you to jail. When our transgressions, iniquities, and sins catch up with us, so often we think of God as the policeman who will come and get you and take you to jail. All the while, God responds with mercy, love, and compassion. That doesn't mean that he's not active in the midst of our failures. He uses our failures. It doesn't mean he approves of the things that we do, the bad choices that we make. But he does use them. He doesn't approve, but he does use. When Sarah and I were first dating, uh, we would go uh, on trips to LA and then come back later that day. And Sarah used to often sleep in the car while we were driving. Every time I would stop at a stoplight, traveling on highways for so long, she would wake up. On one particular trip, we were driving um, her S10 pickup over the grapevine, returning from Los Angeles. And Sarah is sleeping in the truck and I'm driving and uh, we get into a small accident with a, a semi, okay? Believe it or not, everyone was okay. And I remember pulling off to the grapevine and uh, calling her dad. And I was trying to just take responsible. I was trying to show him how responsible of a boyfriend I was. And I said, I would never do anything to put your daughter in harm's way. I still remember me saying that. And he's like, are you crying? And I'm like, no, it's, it's the pollen in the air. All in the grapevine, there's, there's pollen in this area. Okay. That woke her up. Stoplights will wake you up. Accidents will wake you up. God uses life's stoplights to wake us up. And he'll use tears and confrontation and failures. Psalm 51 might be the greatest chapter in the Bible on repentance. And it was written because of a failed moment. We would not have Psalm 51 if David had been perfect. David was clearly penitent, okay? He wasn't just sorry he got caught. He was sorry that he had broken the very heart of God. David came home to God. David was an example of changing a heart, uh, a repentance. David failed, but David wasn't a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. Some of you, that's the only thing you need to hear. You shut up the podcast right now, okay? Failure is an event, not a person. What if God doesn't choose to save us in spite of our failures, losses, and embarrassments, but precisely through them. What if it's not avoiding falling that strengthens our faith, but the falling itself? The weight of our failures affects us. In the Philippines, there was a driver of a caravel wagon. He was on his way to the market when he overtook an old man carrying a heavy load, taking compassion on him. He invited the driver to ride in the wagon, so hopefully that the old man would accept it. And after a few minutes, the driver turned to see how the man was doing. And to his surprise, he still saw him straining under the heavy weight. He had not taken the burden off his shoulders. Listen, you don't have to carry the weight any longer. Psalm 51 declares that mercy awaits our confession to God. Some of you have been carrying that weight. And when we carry past mistakes with us into the future, it is the future that suffers. 
in the aftermath of failure, we must look up and move forward. On the Australian coat of arms is a picture of an emu and a kangaroo. Now, these animals aren't fierce, but they weren't chosen because they were strong. They did have one characteristic, however, that appealed to the Australian forefathers. Both the emu and the kangaroo can only move forward, not backward. The emu's three-toed foot causes it to fall if it tries to go backwards, and the kangaroo is prevented from moving in reverse because of its large tail. They only move forward, never backward. Oh, if that could be us as well. As we try to follow Jesus, may we become more like the emu and the kangaroo, only moving forward, never back, because nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is not usable by the divine. Nothing is wasted. Our failures, our shortcomings, our disappointments, our losses, God can still use. It doesn't mean that God's the one pulling the strings and making all these bad things happen. No, but God can use it. Nothing is wasted. So how do we move forward? Luke chapter 18. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Verse six, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? There are two characters in this story. One is a judge. A judge has a lot of power and authority. We understand this well, don't we? When a judge comes into the room wearing his robe and he walks to his seat, what, there's a command for all who are there. All rise and we all stand. Why? Because here comes the judge. The judge is a powerful person. And when the Bible describes God in the, in the end, the final days, he, call, he is called a judge. The judge. He sits on the throne. He judges. Many of the judges in the Bible were also people who ruled others. A judge has power and influence. But this judge... The judge that Jesus described, is he the kind of judge that you want to face? No. This guy is a judge who has no respect for God and no respect for man. He could care less what happens to you. And since he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care about justice according to the truth. And since he has no respect for man, he doesn't care about what happens to those he rules over. Okay, that's one character. And then there is a woman. And this woman's chances of being heard didn't look very promising for several reasons. First, she was a woman in a culture where women were second-class citizens at best. Second, she was a widow or had no husband to stand with her to open the way to justice for her. And third, being a widow, she would have been poor and could not have afforded an advocate. And yet, the woman came to the judge and she expected to win. In other words, she had 
hope in receiving a fair judgment. That the arc of humanity, the arc of the human story, the arc of the universe bends towards justice. Someday, she, had, she knew she would get a fair shake. So it should be with us in life. We keep going because someday we'll get justice. We keep asking, we keep begging. I meet people all the time who don't really expect God to answer a prayer. They, they barely hope. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to be a people of hope. And that is what the Christmas story is about, a thrill of hope. And Jesus tells us the point of this story. The point is not this, that God's an angry judge who doesn't really care for people, but if you bother him long enough, if you annoy him enough, he'll finally give you what you want. No, no. The point is that if even a jerk of a judge who cares about nothing and nobody, if even a jerk gives this passionate woman, this desperate woman justice, how much more will the good judge, your gracious, compassionate, loving Father in heaven, grant us justice in our time of need? May we be like the woman because we don't encounter an unrighteous judge, but the righteous judge. How do we keep going? Here's a practical tool that can really help us. Every time you say something, you should end it with the phrase, and that's the way I like it. If you want, you can say, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay? But think about it for a minute. If you say things like, we're always going to be in debt, we're never going to get out of it, and that's the way I like it, it might change the way you speak. My kids are always going to disobey, and they'll never follow the Lord, and that's the way I like it. The reality is that the words we speak are directing the course of our lives. They're self-fulfilling prophecies. The simple principle is that if you want to see it, you're going to have to learn to say it. So we start speaking God's promises over our situation. Every time we're tempted to say, man, I'm going to go bankrupt. There's no way to get out of this debt. We need to stop and say, I know my situation might seem bleak. And I know that my finances might be tight. But my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I know my kids are acting like idiots. And they're following the wrong crowd. But Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He's going after my kids with his scandalous love and grace. If you want to see it, you're going to have to say it. I believe I'm going to get out of this situation. God always delivers. And that's the way I like it as we bring this series to a close, I'd like to read a short book to you. Okay, story time. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to get out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault, and it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. 
and I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. What chapter are you in? I don't know where you are in, in life, this Christmas season, 2022, but perhaps this very morning, this very afternoon, you begin to write a new chapter. You begin to walk down another street, a street that is filled with love and justice and mercy, compassion, healing, adventure, and a good judge who desires good things for his children. When you are at the bottom of that hole in the sidewalk, there's always hope. May that be true for you in this moment now. Look up. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you help us. Those of us who are in despair, in desperation, hurting, trying to find fulfillment in things that just pass the time. God, give us a renewed sense, God. Help us to write another story. We need you, we love you. Thank you for showing up 2,000 years ago and showing us a better way. When love entered the story in a new way, God, you showed us what love is like. You showed us the character of God. Help us to trust in that and live differently because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is Christmas Sunday. And so if you are in the Fresno Clovis Central Valley area, we want to encourage you to come. We're going to have uh, winter train rides and photos with Santa and hot chocolate and our PC Kids uh, Christmas performance. It's going to be incredible. We would love to see you there. Also today, if you're watching this before 10 a.m., we're having Christmas Sweater Sunday. So it should be a great time. Uh, so come join us. And we wish you all the greatest Sundays, the best Christmas season. Peace in Ukraine.